Let's take our Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, we'll get right into our study here tonight. Galatians chapter 2, and once you find Galatians 2, let's go to verse 15. All right, Galatians 2, beginning in verse 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the thing which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me." And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. We've been working our way through this letter, this epistle that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. And what we know is that Paul was in a battle for truth. He was in a battle against those who were propagating a false gospel. They were, as we've said before, in this case called Judaizers. They were Jews who came from Jerusalem, who had come into the regions of Galatia, into the Gentile world, on purpose to follow the Apostle Paul to the churches that he had established in those regions of Galatia. And they came into those churches preaching another gospel, which is not another, meaning not another one of the same kind. It's a different gospel. It's a false gospel. And Paul was shocked that the believers in Galatia, the the members of the churches of Galatia, had even given them ear at all. In chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, another one of a different kind. And so Paul, and what these Judaizers were doing, by the way, was they were adding works to salvation. They were saying that uh, in order to be truly saved, the Gentiles needed to be circumcised plus have their faith in Christ in order to be saved. And these Believers in the churches of Galatia were starting to believe this false teaching that these Judaizers were bringing in. So, addition to faith in Christ was the works of the law. And so Paul is defending the gospel of Jesus Christ in this epistle. It's a very harsh one in as far as his approach. Uh, He doesn't commend them. He doesn't spend time talking about their their good qualities, or anything like that. Paul gets right into this because it's so serious uh, that it's going to not just affect and influence these churches, but it really has uh, impacts for all eternity in the lives of people. And so Paul's serious about this. And he's defending the gospel of Jesus Christ along with his own apostleship. 
because in addition to this false gospel, they were also attacking the Apostle Paul and trying to discredit him and what he preached. But Paul is defending his apostleship and his authority to preach the message of the gospel, which was grace. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. That's the message of the gospel. Now, in our section tonight, it's a continuation of the conversation that Paul had or was was telling the churches about, about this confrontation that he had had with Peter the Apostle, who was being very inconsistent and hypocritical with the gospel at one point. And this is part of his defense of his apostleship, that even he withstood somebody who was respected like the Apostle Peter. He withstood him to the face. And Paul is rehearsing this confrontation that he had with Peter uh, earlier. And so I want you to notice what had happened, just to refresh our memory. If you go back to verse 12 of chapter 2, Paul writes here, he says, For before that certain came from James, he, that's Peter, did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Now notice some of the wording here. The very first thing that Paul says is in verse 12 is, but before that certain came from James. And what he means by that is there was a time when Peter was interacting with the Gentiles until there were those who came and said that they were from James, meaning from Jerusalem. They really weren't. They weren't from James. James didn't send them. They just claimed to be to try to gain some credibility. But these would have been the Judaizers, the law keepers. And Paul says before they came, Peter ate with the Gentiles. If he ate with the Gentiles, that would have meant that he accepted them, that the Jews and the Gentiles were all on the same level, one in Jesus Christ. But then notice, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself. So after these Jews had come and they were observing what was going on, they arrived and and Paul says that Peter acted in fear and he withdrew and he separated himself. The meaning of that phrase literally means to pull away and to set up boundaries. That has some some meaning when it comes to Jews and Gentiles. He pulled away from the Gentiles and reset up the boundaries, the distinctions that were broken down between Jew and Gentile, implying once again that the Jews were better than the Gentiles. Now look at verse 14, because here's where Paul shows that Peter's not being consistent with the gospel. He says, But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? In other words, Paul says in effect here, he says, You gave up the Jewish laws, and you've been living like a Gentile, And now you suddenly seem to want to go back to the old system 
and make the Gentiles live like the Jews. And so Paul is, is showing the inconsistency with the gospel of Jesus Christ that breaks down the partitions, that breaks down the barriers, that we're all the same, we're all equal in the eyes of God. And he's going to go on to talk about how we're all equally sinners in the eyes of God too. And so Paul, as Paul continues this telling this story, in our text verses, he gives us a great lesson on the doctrine of justification and the essence of the gospel. And that is this, that the only way to be right with God is through faith in what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. We could never earn favor with God on our own. And we're going to talk about that tonight in our text verses. I'm going to bring out several points and principles regarding justification and by faith and being right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I do pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit tonight to have free course in this room and, Lord, to enable me to preach the gospel. Lord, for those who would hear that they would receive the words, not as words of men, but as they are in truth, the Word of God. <clears throat> and Lord, I do pray that you'd give us understanding of the Scriptures here tonight. Open our eyes, and I pray for those here tonight that may not know you as their personal Savior. Lord, I pray that you draw them to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want to point out to you here in ver is in verse 15, that that as Paul is talking here, Paul is laying out and showing us and, 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 the, and the, these Galatian believers that, that sin is a condition. That's the point. A sin is a condition. Notice verse 15. He says, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Now notice he says that we're Jews by nature. And when he says that, he's referring to a couple of different things. First of all, he's referring to their ethnic nature. In other words, what he's saying is that we're Abraham's seed, that we are God's chosen people. It means that, <clears throat> that we are peculiar in that aspect, that we're God's chosen people. We're Abraham's seed. We're a covenant people, that God made an unconditional covenant with David. And, and because of that, in that sense, the Jews were special in that regard. He's referring to their ethnic nature, but he's also referring to their religious nature in this, that they were given the law of God. It was to the Jews that the law was given. But here was the problem. They were ignorant. And they were ignorant because they assumed that they were righteous and right with God because they were given the law, because they, were, they tried to keep the law, because they were God's chosen people, that made them special and different than anybody else. They thought it made them different than all others in the eyes of God. However, they were sinners nonetheless. Spiritual privilege did not render them less sinful than other people. And Paul says, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, that phrase, not sinners of the Gentiles, that was a common phrase that was used, and it was a derogatory 
type phrase. And Paul isn't using it in a derogatory way, but he's using it to highlight what the issue is here. That as Jews, we think we're better than other people. But they were sinners nonetheless. And this is the truth of the matter. When it comes to how God views mankind, all of us are sinners. It's a universal problem. And here was the reason. Here was the reason for the Jews, because yes, the Jews were God's chosen people in that regard, but the Jews also had Adam's sin nature too, just like everybody else. Sin is a matter of condition, not conduct. And that's, a, that's an important thought to keep track of. Sin is a matter of condition and not conduct. You, you, um, you're not a sinner because you do bad things. We're sinners because of our nature. We are bad because we're sinners. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, in verse 12, regarding Adam and the sin nature, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That includes the Jews. They had Adam's sin nature too. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 22, But the Scripture hath concluded, all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Sin is a matter of condition for all men, not, our, not just our conduct. And, and the issue was that the Jews did not see themselves as sinners like other men. Let me give you an illustration of that. Go, keep your place here, but go to Luke chapter 18. You'll recognize... This story in Luke chapter 18. In verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank Thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess, and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. What we find here is that this Pharisee prayed thus with himself, and he pointed out that he is glad that he's not a sinner like other men are, this publican. That was, in essence, the mindset of the Jews. And the truth of the matter is, so often, this is the case, friend, that a religious man has a hard time seeing himself as vile and wretched as as God sees him in his sinful condition. He's fine in his religion. 
And notice this Pharisee said, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Look at all the good things that I do. And look how just I am. And Jesus said that it was the publican who went away justified rather than the other. Here's the application. Sin is not a matter of degree, but of defect. In other words, it's not, it's, it's not how much sin somebody commits that's in view here, but the potential that everyone has to produce sin because that's what our nature is. Sin is not a matter of degree, but of defect. We're all defective in our sin nature. And, and, and listen, and, and this applies, this applies here whether a person is saved or a person, or, or a person is lost. This same truth applies. And listen to this. The most desperately wicked work of the heart is to think or to pretend to be pure by comparing ourselves to others. Let me say it again. The most desperately wicked work of the heart is to think or to pretend to be pure by comparing ourselves to others. I'm not like them or... I could never do that. You ever heard somebody ask this question? How could they possibly do that? You ever heard anybody ask that question? Like maybe it's a group of believers, for example. And somebody messes up really bad and we get together and we're talking about it. And our question is, how could they possibly do that? That is so bad. As if the potential for that or worse doesn't lie within me. I'll tell you how they could do that. And I'll tell you how you could do that. We have a deceitful and desperately wicked heart. That's how. It's the deceitfulness of our wicked heart that even makes us think, I could never do such a thing. That is the deceitfulness of the heart right there. I could never do such a thing. Sin is a universal condition that all of mankind shares in and condemns us. And Paul, as he's telling this story and talking about this conversation, that he's having with Peter, he even says to Peter, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, pointing out the fact that we're all in the same boat when it comes to the issue of sin. It's a condition. Secondly, look at verse 16. Secondly, we see that sin has a cure. Sin has a cure. And I want you to notice that the word justified is used three times in this verse, Paul says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. The word justified is used three times in this one verse. 
And Paul even says to Peter, even we as Jews have believed in Jesus Christ and we're not saved by the works of the law. What does it mean to be justified or what does justification mean? It means this. It means to render or declare just or innocent. It means to pardon and clear from guilt, to absolve or acquit equit acquit from deserved punishment, or it means to declare righteous on account of the merits of another, meaning Jesus Christ. To declare righteous on the account or the merits of another. To render just or innocent. And Paul says the cure for this condition is, first of all, let me tell you what it's not. The cure for sin and the condition of sin is not by the works of the law. By the works of the law, he says, shall no flesh be justified. That phrase, no flesh, it basically means all of mankind, including Jews. No flesh is justified by the works of the law. The law cannot make a man righteous. A man's character and nature cannot be changed by his conduct. Let me say it again. Everybody listening? Follow right here. The law can't make somebody righteous. Your character and your nature cannot be changed by the things that you do, by your conduct. You've heard the illustration before of the nature of a pig, right? You've heard that? Some of you are like, no. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Others of you are like, yeah, we've heard that one. Well, I'm going to tell you again. The nature of a pig, what is it? Hey, man, it's to go jump in the mud puddle. It's to go wallow in the slop. That's the nature of a pig. And you can take a pig, your prized pig, the one that you want to show off to everybody else. You can take it out of the mud and you can give it a bath and you can clean it all up and you can put a bow on its tail. You can even teach it to sit at the table. You can teach it all kinds of tricks, but when you let the pig go, what's it going to do? It's going to run right back for the slop in the mud. And it doesn't matter how many times you take it out of that environment, it's not going to change the nature of the pig. And it doesn't matter, in the same sense, it doesn't matter how much reformation you try to bring into your life, how many new leaves you want to try to turn over, how much effort you put into not doing wrong, it's not going to change your nature as a sinner. The law cannot justify. The law cannot make one innocent. The law cannot declare to be righteous. All the law can do is condemn. And many people believe that if they just begin doing right, meaning they stop the bad behavior, they turn over a new leaf, that somehow that is going to make up for all the wrong that has been done. But doing good, which by the way, there's none that doeth good, according to the Word of God, doing good can never undo the wrong that's been done. Paul says the cure for this condition, it's not the works of the law, but it is by the faith 
of Jesus Christ. He says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we, me and you, Peter, we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Why is it by faith in Jesus Christ? Well, because Jesus Christ did what a man cannot do. He did what a man cannot do. He fulfilled all the law's righteous demands. He perfectly, perfectly fulfilled all of the law. He never sinned. And here's the point of the matter. When it comes to doing good and obeying the law of God, there at, even at one small little point, you break God's law, you've broken all of them. It demands perfection. And nobody can do that except for Jesus Christ. He did what no man could do. He suffered all the just penalties of the law. The law demands death. And Jesus suffered the penalty of the law. And Paul says that even Jews, we've, had, we've believed in Jesus Christ for justification. And not only are Jews and Gentiles both sinners, what he's saying is, all of us are saved exactly the same way, too. We're all sinners the same. We're all saved the same by faith in Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 10. Romans 10 and verse 12. Paul writing to the Romans, he says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says there's no difference between Jews and Greeks. And, and it's the salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ, calling on the name of the Lord. We're all saved the same way too. And so sin is a condition, Paul points out. But sin has a cure. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. But thirdly, I want you to notice in our text, go back to Galatians 2, verses 17 and 18, I want you to notice that sin must be confronted. Sin must be confronted. He says in verse 17, But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid! For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Sin's got to be confronted. Before justification, we've got to face condemnation. In other words, what we've got to understand and got to face is the reality of the bad news before the good news can be shared. The good news is not good news until we understand the reality of the bad news. Does that make sense? In other words, until a person comes to grips with the reality of his sinful, condemned state, he sees no sense in a Savior who suffered. You, you follow that wording? Until a person comes to grips with the reality of his own sinful, condemned state, he doesn't see any sense in a Savior who had to suffer, who had to die. What was the point of that? But if he understands his own sin, 
and his own guilt, and that the law demands death, that that death belongs to him, all of a sudden the death of Jesus Christ becomes so much more valuable and precious and good news. Until he sees the suffering of Jesus Christ as the consequence for his own sin, he has no sense of how serious his sinful condition really is. You know what? That's why people can sit week after week hearing the gospel and not be moved. That's why people can go through their life, maybe even all of their life, hearing the gospel, hearing the truth, but never repenting of their sin. And the reason is because they cannot see the danger that they are in in this very moment. At any moment, the wrath of God is going to come crashing down on their soul for all eternity. You might be here tonight and you've never been saved. You might be here tonight and you just sort of just take it all in. It doesn't really affect you. It doesn't bother you. But listen, friend, listen. God is trying to give you an opportunity to understand how condemned you are in His sight and give you an opportunity to repent and find that reconciliation. Find the forgiveness of sins that removes the wrath of God and the judgment of God on your soul. What if you die tonight? Where are you going to go? Where's your soul going to be for all eternity if you go out into eternity tonight? Some say, well, I don't know, and I don't really care. You are one who does not see the danger that you are in. Until a person sees the death of Christ and the suffering of Christ as the consequence for his own sin, he won't see how serious a condition he is in right now. And then notice that Paul says in verse 17, he says, Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. Is Christ the minister of sin? Listen, Jesus Christ didn't bring sin into this world. Adam did. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. Jesus Christ doesn't bring condemnation to mankind. Go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and look at verse 17. John 3, 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil." Jesus doesn't bring condemnation to mankind. Mankind is condemned already because he hasn't believed on Jesus Christ. And the reason he has not is because he loves his sin. He loves his darkness. Why does somebody sit unaffected and unmoved? Because they love their darkness. Why does somebody dismiss Jesus Christ and God altogether? Because they love their sin. They love their darkness. 
But that same darkness and that same sin condemns you for all eternity. But God doesn't want you to be condemned. He sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You know what the pushback against Bible-believing Christians is? I've heard this before. Maybe you've heard it too. This is what I've heard before. Well, you, you, you preachers, you Bible-believing preachers, you, you Bible-believing Christians, you try to bring a sense of guilt and condemnation on people because you want to make them feel bad. But you know what I say? I say, not so. Not so, my friend. The message is actually one of hope. The message is one of justification. The message is of reconciliation to God. That's what the message is. For your soul. You are hellbound. All of humanity is. Because you're condemned already. And so the message is one of hope and reconciliation to God for your soul. Christ is not the minister of sin. God forbid, Paul says. It means may it never be. It's the strongest possible negative in the Greek language. May it never be. He's not the minister of sin. He's the destroyer of sin. Praise the Lord. Look at verse 18. In our text, look at verse 18. He says, For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Paul is saying man is not justified by works. Paul preached against the keeping of the law for salvation. So did Peter. They both preached that. So Paul says here that he would not build again the thing that he destroyed. Paul wouldn't build again a system of works for man to attempt to be justified in the eyes of God. It cost the Son of God death by crucifixion to destroy it. Who would then want to build it up again? That's why Paul says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he says in chapter 3 and verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth. Why would you ever want to build it again when Christ tore it down? Sin has got to be confronted. Then I want you to notice that sin's got to be crucified. Look at verse 19. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In verse 19, Paul says, I'm dead to the law. What does that mean? I'm dead to the law. When Paul's saying, I'm dead to the law, he's talking about being dead to the law's demands. A dead man cannot meet the demands of the law. Paul said that all he ever got from the law was death. All the law did for him was enable him to know that he couldn't possibly keep it. And then the law killed him. When Paul wrote to the Romans, 
Paul expands on that same idea. He says in Romans 6.23, you know the verse, for the wages of sin is death. And so Paul says, since I'm a sinner, I'm going to have to die because the wages of sin is death. He gets over to Romans chapter 7, and Paul says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 1, how the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. But once he's died, the law no longer has any claim on him. Go to Romans chapter 7. Let's just read some of these verses here. Romans 7, in verse 1, he says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. And then he uses an illustration here of marriage. He says, For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, here's the the application right here. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And so Paul is saying that as long as a man is alive, The law has dominion over him, but once he's died, the law no longer has any claim on him. And when you die, the law's claim is canceled. He's also dead to the law's penalty. And that's why he goes on to say, I've been crucified with Christ. Paul is crucified with Christ in verse 20. Christ was crucified for Paul. Christ's crucifixion was Paul's crucifixion. In a spiritual sense, when Christ died on the cross, Paul died too. Paul was there spiritually when Christ paid the penalty for his sin. He says in verse, verse 20, he says, for I, or I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And so Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Christ's crucifixion was my crucifixion. But then he says, I'm also alive in Jesus Christ. Paul came alive in Christ by placing his faith in what Jesus Christ had done. And so Paul's relationship to the law died when Christ died. Nevertheless, he lives Paul lives because of Jesus Christ. And the life that he had is is possible because of the faith of the Son of God. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying the only reason that I have life is that Jesus Christ died in my place. I owe it all to Him. I could never earn any of it myself. That's what he's saying. 
There's nothing I could do. There's no works that are added to it. I owe it all to Jesus Christ because He took my place. And then notice Paul's conclusion in verse 21. Paul's conclusion. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I do not frustrate the grace of God. That word frustrate, it means to render of none effect. In other words, I'm not going to make God's grace useless in my life. I realize that righteousness is a gift. I could not earn it. I can only accept it. If righteousness comes by the law, then Jesus died for nothing. In other words, if you could be saved by any act of your own or action that you perform, then there would be, have been no reason for Jesus Christ to die. It's a gift. It's a gift. You can't earn it. All you can do is accept it. The cure for sin is faith in Jesus Christ and what He's done. Paul's going to move on in chapter 3 into the doctrinal section of this letter. And he's really going to answer all of the Judaizers who hold on to legalism, and he's going to show the foolishness of it. But as we close here tonight, I want to ask the question, if you're here tonight and you've never been saved, Tonight is the night that you need to repent of your sin and you need to receive God's free gift of salvation. The only way for you to be right with God is to receive His free gift by faith in Jesus Christ. Are you saved? What if you die tonight? Where's your soul going to go? Think on this. Ponder this question. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, pray that you'd use your word here tonight, and I do pray for those who are not saved, that you draw them to Christ. Normally, a Wednesday night is not a salvation message, but this is the text. And Lord, there are people here tonight who need to hear this truth. You've ordained it. Lord, you have appointed it. And Lord, we trust you to do with it according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.